Breaking the Glass, episode 23. I used to run the uh, the boxing kids camp for Denzel Washington when I was at Pound for Pound. And I, uh, I met a lot of different kids. You know, some of them are there because they have discipline, discipline problems. Some of them are there because they have self-esteem problems. Some of them are there because, you know, they have problems paying attention and stuff like that. But you can see the benefit in them and you can almost see the glow in them once they're starting to get that type of structure and see somebody caring for them and putting the type of time in for them. You'll be surprised on how their grades um, start to pick up and you'll be surprised on how they're carrying themselves and starting to care more, you know, you know, dressing a little better if they, if they can, or just making sure that what they have, even though if it's not much, they represent themselves a lot better than what they were than when they first came in. Welcome to the Breaking the Glass show with TQ Sinkungu. Together we'll dig inside the success stories of people of color and share those stories to inspire you. Then we'll break down their path to show you what they did so you can learn from their wisdom and follow in their footsteps. My guest today is Kayleon Green, a.k.a. KG Super Trainer. KG has over 18 years experience in boxing, being trained by some of the best trainers in the history of boxing and working alongside them as a trainer himself. Now, when I was talking to KG, he's a guy who's from L.A. His boxing gym is in L.A., and just the way he sounds reminds me of my time living there. L.A. people have a way that they sound that's just so laid back and cool and personable. And I'm sure you'll enjoy listening to him as well as listening to his story. When he came up, he had a successful high school career as a football player and linebacker where he set numerous records at his school. At the same time, before he even graduated high school, he had to overcome two major challenges. First, his mother passed away due to complications from having multiple sclerosis, and he himself had cancer in his back that was surrounding his spine. Now, he had multiple attempts after recovering from this cancer diagnosis. He had multiple tries of trying to play college football, and that did not work out, as you hear in the story. And that's when he turned to a boxing career. He was a good boxer, but he really found his groove as a trainer. He worked with a trainer named Terry Claybon, who runs the Pound for Pound Boxing Gym in Los Angeles. Uh, and he worked there for 10 years with a number of different stars like Denzel Washington to prep him for the movie Hurricane, Jay Gyllenhaal, Lamar Odom, Tom Brady, Matt Damon, and many others. He actually also ran Denzel Washington's boxing camp for five years. And after spending 10 years with Terry, he decided it was time to start his own thing. He built his own business as a boxing gym owner. And what you're going to learn from listening to his story is that even so-called overnight successes often have a much longer backstory. He had challenge after challenge. Even while he was successful in his football career, he was having setbacks. While he was successful as a trainer and as a gym owner, he had certain setbacks. One of the things you'll hear about is what a number of business owners of color suffer from, which is lack of access to capital. We talked about it in my first episode with Sean Randolph, and you'll see how it kind of had an effect on KG's business, but he didn't let that stop him. His gym called Free Spirit Boxing and Fitness is a place that's inspired by his mom. Her spirit is watching over him and with all the folks who come through training with him. You'll learn that success can take time, 
but he's had the opportunity to overcome that and start to build a nice career for himself out in Los Angeles. He trains people in boxing and in fitness and has started to work with a couple of professional boxers. He's also leveraged his connections in LA to work with some stars out there. And now he's going to take that success he's had and build on it from there and grow it in every direction. Working with folks like you or me just trying to get in his shape or professional boxers who want to make that their career or use his experience as a trainer to the stars to help stars achieve their peak performance in their professional careers and their personal lives. Without any further ado, please enjoy my interview with KG Super Trainer. My guest today is Kayleon Green, KG, the super trainer. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So, KG, uh, I know you're a boxing trainer today, but we always like to start the show by taking it back a little bit in something I like to call the lightning round background. So why don't you give us a feel for what life was like for you growing up, um, just from your youth up through maybe the college age, uh, just kind of a thumbnail sketch of what that was. Born and raised in Los Angeles. Um, did all, mostly all my schooling years. A few times, you know, in college, I, I left, but I wound up uh, coming back here. Um, I'm a cancer survivor. Uh, my mom passed away due to complications of uh, MS, which is multiple sclerosis. Um, I come from Mainly a uh, single parent home. I uh, went to Crenshaw High School, graduated from there, won a football championship there, their first ever. I was the MVP nice. of that team. What, um, what position did you play? I played outside linebacker. Okay. That's pretty yeah. tough for a defensive player to get MVP like that. That's, you must have been uh, killing them. Yeah, especially since I didn't really start playing football until I got in the 10th grade. Wow. Um, so, yeah, that finally my senior year, you know, everything clicked, and I wind up being, you know, I'm st- still tied now as their all-time sack leader. I was their um, all-time sack leader for a long time, but somebody tied me finally. Okay, that's cool. Um, what else, what are the kind of, uh, important milestones do you remember like early in life that affected who KG came to be today? Well, as that, you know, that season went on, I started, uh, having a lot of back pain in my lower back kind of would feel like, kind of like what a migraine headache would feel to most people in the head, but it was in my back. Um, that year I had a car accident. I was in the car with one of my friends and I didn't have my seatbelt on. Somebody ran a stop sign and uh, hit us and then my head hit the windshield. So after that, I guess whatever was going on with that kind of triggered the back pain. So, uh, you know, they thought that that pain was actually coming from, you know, complications due to the accident. So they, you know, before the games, they would send someone to massage me. They sent me to a chiropractor um, and physical therapy and stuff like that. And my back, I still was having the same problems. So my coach kind of thought, well, maybe he's, you know, he has all these screws after him and stuff. Maybe he's just like let up a little bit. Maybe he's taking it easy because when I would come to practice, I wouldn't practice that hard in the 12th grade. I, I, I would go as hard as I could until, you know, 
I started feeling that pain, and then I would kind of slow down and kind of save myself for the games. Right. Um, but then even after I graduated, I noticed when I went to the All-Star game, uh, I knew something wasn't right. Um, so then I kept telling my dad something is wrong, something is wrong. So finally he took me to, you know, a physician. We actually wound up going to about three different doctors, um, which nobody found anything. Everybody kept saying whatever, groin pains or it might have been something with the accident or this and that. And finally, I found this one guy. His name is uh, Ronald A. Navarro. He's a doctor. And he played football uh, for high school, Banning High School, which was one of our uh, rivals when I went to Crenshaw. He was older than me, but, you know, we our school still played each other. So he took a special interest into me. And he seemed like he just digged a little deeper into the matter than everybody else. And he wound up finding out that I had a rare type of cancer called Hewing sarcoma oh, that man. was wrapped around my spinal cord. And wow. uh, what it was doing to me, it almost paralyzed me. You know, it caused me to lose. A lot of times I would sit down, my legs would go like fall asleep or go numb. My feet would do the same thing. And the pain got so bad, it was like I couldn't even sit up in the car no more. I had to lay down in the back seat when uh, when I was trapped, like moving around. Oh my goodness! How did you deal yeah. with that, man? That must have been really scary. Uh, it was. You know, I was. You know, when you at a young age like that, and then they say, you know, one of the first things he told me is, is well, you'll probably never play football again. Right. And, you know, as a child, you know, one of the first things they're going to do when you tell them they can't do something is try and do it. So I was so busy, you know, fighting that. I just decided to, you know, take that on and and live my life like I didn't have it. So mentally, that, that did a whole lot for me because I wasn't just walking around like feeling sorry for myself and stuff like that. I I refused to live my life you know, any different than I was living it before. So all the things that I was doing before, I I, I just made it a point to keep doing them. Right. I didn't want, you know, to uh, get my spirits and stuff down like that. It even got to the point where, you know, my sister, she thought something was wrong with me or I thought I was crazy or something. Cause she, uh, she set it up to where I had to go to like, like canceling like for people with cancer and stuff like that to where you talk about it and they talk about, you know, death and people who, um, you know, who they lost and stuff, you know, that died from cancer and stuff like that. So it was kind of like a group like that to help you cope with it. Yeah. But it wasn't necessarily that I needed that. I understood fully what was going on. I just had that the mindset that I felt that I needed to have to uh defeat the disease. So the doctors had a great, you know, game plan for what they were gonna do, which was he when he was going to do his biopsy, he cut out as much of the cancer as he could, which he cut into my back. I have a scar on my back. It took about 22 staples to close. Oh, my goodness. So he cut out, yeah, as much as he could around my spinal cord stuff without touching my spinal cord. And then what they planned to do after that was, you know, get the rest of it out, uh, you know, with chemo and radiation. Because okay. it had, you know, group grew around my spinal cord and they, it was a mass around it about the size of a grapefruit. And that's what was causing the pain because it was touching against the nerves of my back. So it was, you know, 
making my feet and stuff go numb and all the stuff that was happening, the pain and stuff like that. How old were you at this time? Uh, I believe I was 17 years old. Wow. Oh my when I goodness. got diagnosed with this. So I wind up having to turn down a scholarship to the University of Colorado because they, uh, they, you know, they kind of put it to me like this. They were like, you know, we need you to come right now, you know, and I, once I told them what was going on, I believe that they had another player. He was a quarterback and he passed away of a, some type of cancer or leukemia or something like that. And I think they just put that pressure on me because they knew that I was going to choose to live. So they made it to where I had to make a decision like that. And they obviously knew I was going to say no because I needed to be treated and stuff like that. I just think that they weren't prepared to deal with that type of, you know, issue again. Right. So, then, yeah. So I wind up sitting out and then, uh, Did they pull the scholarship. Yeah. I wind up having to turn it down basically because I couldn't, you know, obviously I couldn't go. I had to be treated. Right. But you did persevere. Did, now you you ended up having the treatment. It sounds obviously because you you made it through. Um, how what kind of experience was that like as a seventeen eighteen year old kid? It was tough. You know what I mean. It, it made me feel like you know physically. You know it took a toll on me because I just wasn't as strong as I normally was. You know, you know having losing my hair and my fingernails and stuff turning dark and all the stuff that goes along with it because you know chemotherapy. What it essentially does is it kills all the cells in your body. It can't determine which ones are good or bad. So it just kills, wipes out everything. So um, I was dealing with that and then, um, you know, worrying about what was going to happen with my future. You know, here it is. I had a, a promising career. So I thought in front of me, you know, something that I had been waiting to do. Um, for quite some time. And finally, when I get a chance to, to do it, you know, here it is, another roadblock. You know, before when I wanted to play when I was younger, I couldn't because I had responsibilities, you know, looking after my mom with her disease and stuff like that. So I didn't have uh, a normal childhood where I could just be out playing and stuff all the time. I had, like, responsibilities at a young age, from, right. like the second grade all the way up until, you know, I got in the 10th grade. It just made me feel like, wow, here it is. I finally get a chance to do something or found something that I love to do. And now it's taken away from me. Mm. So once I, you know, got got past that, I just started thinking about making a comeback, what I was going to do when I got better. That's okay. why I kind of stayed focused on that. So what was that plan? What was the comeback plan? Well, I found a lot of strength in the kids that were there. Uh, in the hospital with me, they were younger because, like I said, it's a rare type of cancer. Cancer. They had just, you know, found out about it. I was actually in a um, in a uh, article in Men's Digest because I was one of the first ones they had success with treating it. Um, there was a lot of little kids that used to just tell me they were scared and stuff at night. You know, very young. A lot of them, you know, died, didn't make it, and stuff like that. But I found a lot of strength through them. I could still kind of hear them talking to me every now and again. When I think back and I think about it, I can still hear their little voices, you know, in the middle of the night telling me that they're scared or telling me this and telling me that. And I'm just trying to be like a big brother to them and calm them down and stuff like that, you know, yeah. the nurses or whoever, 
family members and stuff wasn't around and you know i was in there so that's really really, uh yeah and then so what was going to be next for you 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 ended up obviously surviving the cancer pushing through being inspiration to all these kids that were there what was the plan for what you were going to do next or what was next in life for you well after that um when i started feeling like i was getting better and they told me it was things were starting to go the right direction. I tried to go, I wanted to go to school still. So then I wind up leaving uh, LA and going to the university of, uh, I went to Jackson state actually, but I only went for about a semester. So actually the football player, Walter Payton, his brother worked at the school. He was actually the golf coach, Oh wow! but he was volunteering, taking me, uh, when he heard, you know, my story, he was taking me to, the hospital because I had became an outpatient and that's where they would give me shots of chemo where I didn't have to stay in the hospital anymore. And they combined it, uh, with radiation treatment. So I had that done there, but it was very difficult dealing with what I was dealing with, just being so far away from home without any family or anything like that. I just wanted to play. So the first, you know, one of the first schools that offered me, you know, I went there, you know, but then I decided that I needed to be back and have some people around me that, that I know. And, uh, maybe I'm felt like I might've came back a little bit too soon. Okay. Uh, so I came back to LA and then I started going to, uh, West LA junior college. And, uh, I knew it was a coach there that knew me from a rival high school and he said he always wanted me to play for him. So when he heard I came back, he immediately, you know, he got in contact with one of my cousins, which played for him at this junior college. And he told him, you know, asked him would I be willing to come in. So uh, I decided to go on out and play. My first year back, I got All-American honorable mention. Wow. And then uh, – I, when my next season came, I wind up having to take a red shirt because I thought that the cancer was coming back. Because what it was, though, was it wasn't that it was coming back. It was that the scar on my back was still fresh. Right. So when I was getting contact and stuff, it was like it would cause it to, you know, inflame and stuff. And it would start hurting and stuff like that. And, and the pain kind of felt similar to what I was experiencing before it happened. So then I had to sit out and start, you know, have them monitor it and stuff like that. So I just elected to sit out. Then I came back after finally being cleared and they gave me a clean bill of health and I went back out. And then that's when, uh, I wind up leaving and going to, uh, the university of Missouri. Oh, okay. And how did, how did it go while you were there? It was just a different type of feeling. I mean, I came back, no doubt I was better than I ever was before because I had a chance to watch a lot and, uh, you know, learn more aspects of the game and stuff like that. But it also kind of wears you out when you have to take the long way around. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, um, so the, it was a lot of politics and stuff going on. You know, guy who's ahead of me, which they never told me about his parents. He's actually the, the head coach of the school now. Uh, I mean, yeah, he's the head coach, football coaches. Parents were alumni of the school, giving the school money, and it's a lot, a lot of stuff that goes on uh, behind the scenes of college football and football that people don't 
recognize it. I'm sure like as in any sport, but his parents were also alumni of the school, giving the school funds and stuff like that. So I started seeing that it was no way, you know, they were going to ever let me play in front of him. Mm. You know, even though I went there, I had all, you know, um, the spring game, I had beat him out and everything. They just still were not going to let me play. So I wound up leaving there and coming back to uh, California. I just was kind of over it. Right. Like it was taking too long to get you there. Know. So it was time to figure something else out. Right. And now, not only that, I mean, it was like, wow, I came back and did all of this to come back and have to deal with something like this. Here it is. Yet another roadblock. Right. So I came back and then I played for Northridge um, for one year and we played some big schools and I did good. And, you know, my name started to surface stuff again. And then I wind up breaking uh, my ankle and my leg. Oh, no. <laughs> so then, yeah. So I was out again. But by then, you know, my years of eligibility had been up, which I should have had a medical red shirt to be able to continue. But um, I wind up, you know, they had a school lawyer and stuff like that fighting the NCAA to uh, allow me to continue. And um, they didn't. So then I just got frustrated and I just, uh, you know, basically that was kind of it. I went and played for an indoor football league for a while. And I just went on and hung up my cliques and just went in another direction. I understand. I mean, it's, it's, it's things like that where life turns you in a certain direction after so many turns, you got to figure out, am I going to keep pushing down this road or take a turn and go down another road? And, and, right. and, and at the same time, you had other opportunities. It sounds like in the boxing arena, is this where you turned to boxing or, or was that, was that further down the line in terms of what came next? No, that's pretty much when I decided that that's what I was going to do. Cause I had already, you know, my dad is, from Louisville, Kentucky, and uh, he grew up with Muhammad Ali. Same, you know, area, same block, same everything. Mm. And I had a cousin that was actually married to his trainer, Drew Bundini, and then, you know, one of my aunties used to date him. So I was always around, you know, boxing and stuff like that, but I just remember his trainer saying, I'm not going to teach you guys, you know, this just for y'all to be running around the neighborhood getting in fights. I'm only teaching you this if this is something you really want to do. Right. And at that time, I was so young, I just was undecided. You know what I mean? Like, I couldn't say, yeah, this is what I want to do. And I didn't really know that that was what I wanted to do. Because I was, you know, blessed to be um, athletic enough to play basically any sport. So I didn't know until I got older, which direction I was going to go in. So did you, did you do any training while you were younger or you started your training after your whole football career and everything was finished? Uh, I was doing, I was doing training here and there, but I, like I said, I was kind of torn and I was still trying to go to school at the same time and stuff like that. So, you know, to play football, you have to be in school. Boxing is a different type of thing you know what I mean it's not like I came to go to school you know and they gave me a boxing scholarship you know what I mean right well with football is like I had the scholarship so I was you know able to have my education and stuff paid for and stuff like that so then I, I just wind up going that route but when I started seeing what was going on then I just started you know one time me and one of my friends we went to the gym and uh, he was boxing golden gloves 
And when I went in there, everything just kind of clicked. I went that day, and I never stopped going. So how old were you at this time? Was this after football or in the, during, the, during the time while you were still playing? This was after football. So okay. this was uh, 99 okay. or 98. So uh, I found this coach. You know, I started going to this place called the Brea Boxing Academy, which they tore it down now. So, uh, you know, high-rise uh, luxury apartments or whatever it is right there now. They're tearing down everything in L.A. to make high-rise luxury apartments, it seems like. <laughs> yeah, they did. You know, people... Or, uh, you know, they showed them certain images on uh, social media and stuff, you know, of this glamorous place. So now they have to make it look up to standards so they can keep getting people to come here to take their money. <laughs> <laughs> so they, <laughs> that's what's <laughs> basically going on. You know, they have to, you can't just look the part, you know, play the part. You have to look the part, too. Right. So they, but 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 at this time yeah. it was still there. La Brea Boxing was still there and you were training, you were training there? Yeah. Yeah, I was training there, and I was uh, working for this coach. His name was Amilcar Brusa, which he's a Hall of Fame boxing coach. So I was under him, and this guy had over 100 champions. Yeah, uh, that's crazy. You got to slow that down for a second. You said this dude trained 100 champions. He had over 100 champions. He died at, uh, I believe, 90 or 91 years old. Um. And he had somebody fight Muhammad Ali. He's had somebody fight Floyd Mayweather Jr. Wow. Zab Judah, you name it. He's had somebody on there. I mean, these people were constantly on, you know, Showtime and HBO. Um, the, the time he was here. And I in saw the States he, and out of States. He ended up being uh, the trainer for Golden Boy, Oscar De La Hoya's company, huh? He... He might have worked with them, but he was working with this guy named uh, Javier Zapata. And he's, he worked with other people before, so he, he might have been under them. Okay. But I'm not completely 100% sure about that part. So what was it like getting into it with them when you started training with them? What was that experience like for you? Um, It was cool. He didn't hardly speak any English. Me and him kind of had, I don't know, I could just read his body language and what he was telling me to do. You know, he was a man of very few words, first of all. And on top of that, we had a language barrier. He understood certain things, but he didn't understand everything. You know what I mean? So, uh, but he had a lot of love for me. I mean, he took me under his wing. He used to always point to his eyes and tell me, you know, I could see the punches coming. That was his thing about me. Right. And he liked my heart. And, uh, you know, they had a boxing gym. It was probably about twice the size of mine, and they had an attic upstairs in the in the boxing gym where they flew fighters in from all across the world that came here to be professional fighters. So um, I had plenty of sparring. <laughs> Let's just say that, and wow. then they had guys, you know, who they would turn pro, and they would take them, you know, the Friday night fights and stuff at the forum and stuff like that. And they had a lot of guys there, and the ones that was making the cut, they was, you know trying to get them to uh, compete for a title. So I, I actually um, I actually boxed while I was in college uh, at the Air Force Academy. We, you were required, like it was mandatory that every freshman had to box in a boxing class. Mm-hmm. And then I did intramural boxing. And um, 
I box like 165. But I, I always tell people it's the sport that I hated the most and loved the most because I hated cutting weight. But I just love being in that gym and like taking a good shot from somebody but giving it right back to them. And uh, it sounds like you found a lot of a lot of joy in the sport as well. Yeah, it's a, it's a very pure sport. You know, boxing is a, a lot like light. You know, you're only going to get what you put into it. You can be boxing for five or ten years, and if you're not putting in the work, you'll never get it. And then if you are putting in the work, on the other hand, one day you'll wake up and the light just turns on. It's like, I know how to box. Right. You know, it's it's, cra- it's crazy. And it, it also tests you and humbles you, too. It's not really about how big or small you are. It's about your technique and about you outthinking the other person. And um, it's almost like a, a, a live chess match between two people or something maybe you know similar to that you know but the thing i love about it too is once once the match you know once the ring the round starts there is no calling time out and i'm gonna go talk to my coach you gotta figure it out as you go right you know pretty much no other sport is uh like that unless you know the only way they're gonna stop in boxing is that unless you get you know knocked down or the tape comes off your gloves or your mouthpiece gets knocked out or the doctor says you can't go. That's the only way it's going to stop for those three minutes. Right. Just for three minutes, you have to be completely focused on, you know, your opponent and what you're doing. And you, there's nobody else in there to help you. It's just you and that other person. Do you feel like persevering through dealing with cancer as well as um, maybe even dealing with all the challenges you faced through your football career did that give you a certain strength to to be able to do well in your boxing career? It did because uh, you know, like I said, boxing is a lot a lot a lot just like life. You know what I mean? If I didn't have that fight in me and stuff to deal with that cancer, um, there's no telling how it could have turned. You know, I could have just you know lay down and say, you know what, you got me. And just went out sitting on my stool and then they had them, you know, threw in a towel and then that could have been the end of me, just like it happens, just like in boxing. You know right. what I mean? Um, but it was something in me. And I think I can give credit to my mom hmm. as far as this goes. I seen how hard she fought. Yeah. Even though I seen her, you know, moving and walking and talking just like any other normal person to going into basically a vegetable where she can't, you know, walk or talk or do anything for herself. And the fact that, you know, she loved us so much, she just didn't want to leave. And she held on as long as she did. And she did everything in her power before, you know, she lost her speech and stuff like that to still be a capable woman for my father. She used to get on her cart. And basically, you know, drive herself into the kitchen on, on that cart and tell me, you know, I'm in third grade or so. And she's, you know, has me cooking full meals. You know, she's telling me what to do. So I'm, I'm her hands wow. and her legs and stuff like that. But she wants my father to still have, you know, and us to have, you know, a warm, you know, a hot meal. You know, so I'm, she has me, you know, washing clothes and doing this and doing all the stuff she would be doing. But I was doing it for her. Right. It's like she was passing her wisdom on to you because she knew she may not be around forever. 
Exactly. That's exactly what she did. So that's where I think the, all that fight came from. Wow. How did it turn and, out once uh, you got in the ring? So now you're coaching with this Hall of Fame trainer, uh, Coach Brusa, and, and how did that go? Like, what was that experience like with him? Uh, it was great. You know, I, I finally had to, like, you know, it's an expression in boxing called, you know, they always say, you know, you got to let your hands go. Once I started doing that. What does that mean? What does that mean? What does that mean, let your hands go? Like, stop thinking so much. Just fight. You know what I mean? Like, you already know what to do. You already been through the training and stuff like that. So you know how to do it. You know, people say, well, well when we doing this, you know, we got our hands up and in the, in the rain. I see this guy, he has his hands down and stuff like that. That's because he's in the zone. He's put in so much work and had so many fights. He knows the distance he can be at, where he can be hit or where he can't be hit or how to get away from certain punches and do stuff like that. You know what I mean? The average person is not going to have this type of knowledge. Right. So you have to start with a strong foundation. And then later on, as you come into your own, you develop your own style and and start doing stuff like that. Mm, I like that. uh, yeah. And you said you had put in the time. What happened once you let your hands go? I was putting in work. I mean, I never, uh, I fought a lot of the guys who came from those other countries and stuff like that. So then I decided, and uh, my trainer decided, to, you know, he wanted to turn me pro. He didn't want me to waste my time in the amateurs. So I had actually signed my pro paperwork and stuff like that and was getting ready. But like I said, this guy had all these these fighters, you know, he had a stable of fighters and they would spend a whole lot of time up at, uh, um, big bear, you know, so you, you know, it takes about three months to get ready for a fight. And I still, even though I had stopped playing football, I still was going to school and stuff, still trying to, you know, have that in my back pocket and stuff like that. And I figured out there's no way I can be at these two places at the same time. So, um, I looked at myself and looked at my age and looked and I seen what was going on. And I still wanted, I was, you know, I still wanted to go to school, but I still wanted to box too. So then when I kept seeing how they kept going to these training camps and I would get invited, but a lot of times I had to stay behind. I just decided to go more on the uh, coaching side of things. Right. I actually like, I just kept going and I said, you know what, if something opportunity presents itself as far as me boxing, where I can be here and do it and stuff like that instead of having to go and travel and stuff like that at this moment. For the time and space I was in, I was going to do that. But that opportunity opportunity did never um, arise. So what wind up happening is, happening is he, he wind up going back to his country. But before he did, a guy by the name of uh, Terry Claiborne came on and took over that gym and he turned it into what's called, you know, a gym that's still around today. Um, it's pound for pound boxing. Okay. So he found, uh, he basically got me along with the gym. He seen me, you know, fighting and he seen me in there working out and stuff like that. And he asked me, you know, his, his, he himself had the California state champion at the time where actually he had two in two different divisions. So his attention was going on them. He he wanted to to work with me. But like I said, just the timing that I came along, it just didn't work out. So he asked me, 
you know, he just wanted me to be around just in case, you know, whatever. He had the time and stuff like that. And he asked me one day, have you ever thought about coaching? Because he always seen me giving guys tips and stuff like that. It was always guys, you know, asking me for help or he see me just around. I'm just that type of person. You know, if I have some type of knowledge or I can help somebody or light somebody else's candle, you know, I'm going to do that. I'm not going to just sit there and just, you know what I mean? Like, a lot of people these days, man, everybody is kind of cutthroat for themselves and they never want to help people out. Right. And I'm just, you know, I guess from being, you know, dealing with the situation with my mom and stuff like that, I'm just kind of more on the helpful side. So, uh, I, um, I wonder, I got two questions for you before we continue on with that. One of them is, um, can you, when you say letting your hands go, that made me think about how that relates to real life in terms of once you get enough experience at something, you kind of got to just stop thinking about it and start doing it. You know, once you've gained your experience, you just got to let it go. Have you seen that in life in any way? Like, have you seen a a real life application to that concept of letting your hands go? Uh, Well, I definitely let my hands go when I jumped into what I am now, which is owning my own gym. Okay. That took a lot of faith. And I had a lot of different fears and stuff. Uh, Going back to uh, Terry Claiborne, you know, I wound up being his assistant for about 10 years. Oh, wow. And uh, this guy is um, the guy who taught Denzel Washington the moves for the hurricane. He also taught uh, Jake Gyllenhaal the moves for uh, Southpaw. He's worked with, um, you know, Lamar Odom the one year. He had six man of the year for the Lakers. He also has, you know, trained Tom Brady, you know, throughout the years. And he also trained, uh, you know, Matt Damon and a lot of other celebrities. Wow. So, yeah, um, I was the first trainer in 30 years who he's ever left his clients to. You mean, he, uh, what do you mean? Went out of town. What do you mean? He would never, he would just cancel, you know, when he had, when he would have to go out of town and stuff. But when he found me, he had enough confidence in me and my ability to let me go ahead and train the people where he could still keep his appointments. What do you think makes, uh, if you can answer both of these things, first one is what do you think makes a good boxer and then what makes a good trainer? Because obviously you are seen to be very good at both. What do you think makes a, a really good boxer and what do you think makes a really good trainer? I think what makes a good boxer is um, just understanding and timing, you know, knowing what what you want to do. Basically, I always tell people when you box, you never want to let nobody else control you. You got to fight your own fight. The minute that you try to fight somebody else's fight in boxing, you already lost because they're controlling you. So, I think the person who understands that, and I always say boxing is kind of like musical chairs. The minute that this person figures the song out, change the music so Mm -hmm. they can never be on your beat and what you have going on. And when you have somebody who understands that and they're able to grasp that and keep that as their game plan, then you got somebody like Floyd Mayweather Jr., or Muhammad Ali, or, you know, Sugar Ray Robinson, or Sugar Ray Leonard, stuff like that, they all went, you know, marched to their own beat. Nobody controlled them. 
you know, Mike Tyson, they all did their thing and they didn't let people dictate to them. They flipped it around and they dictated to them. And that's right. why they were very successful at what they were doing. How do you teach somebody how but to do that? Um, first of all, you want to create a good base. You know, everything, it starts with your fundamentals. You know, one of the most important things in boxing and in life, again, is your stance. You know, the stance you take on things. If I go somewhere across this world and I say to somebody, if they say to me, do you know anything about boxing? The minute I get in my stance, they're going to know that I know about boxing. Mm. When um, you have a certain stance on certain things in life, people know when you're serious and when you're not serious. Right. You know, it's, it's still the bottom line is your stance is what's going to make them respect what you're doing. You know, um, if you look like a pushover, then they're going to push you over. Right. But if you look like, you know what, this is my decision and I stand firm on that. They have no choice, but to respect that. Hmm. So, um, wow. So a solid controlling the beat, a good foundation, which starts with getting in the right stance. Those are the core pieces of being a good boxer. Yeah. Because from my stance, I can block, I can slip, I can roll every single punch. As long as I'm in my stance, the minute I come out of my stance, being in your stance is like having a force field up. Right. As long as I'm in a good stance, I can block, I can slip, I can roll, I can punch, I can do anything from that stance. But the minute I come out that stance and somebody has me pulling back and dipping my head and closing my eyes and stuff like that, anything can happen because that force field gets weak then. You were moving right there, weren't you? you Were you moving like the moves you were talking about as you were doing them? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I can feel it, man. Like, you know, you know, yeah. the right stance and all that. I, I feel you. So, um, you know, when you have a coach that understands, you know, your, your ability and, and, and your limitations and is going to help you build both of those up to better than they ever were before. And you're there to listen to them and there to try to be more understanding. I mean, you know, sometimes certain people are not going to react well. So when you're saying, well, it just has to be like this. Sometimes you got to meet in the middle right. you know, and you got to try to figure out or figure out another way to reach them to get them to understand, or you're going to have to show them an example. And when, once you find uh, a coach that, you know, cares enough and is compassionate and he wants nothing more but to see you be successful and he's willing to give everything that he has to help you reach that goal, then I think that that definitely makes a good trainer because he's not just like, you know, F you pay me. He actually cares or she actually cares enough about you to make sure that you get what you're coming for. And it sounds like it's, it's, it is giving them a good experience, but it also sounds like what you're saying is you have to have the humility and the uh, the the generosity, I guess, to to do what's best for that person, not have your own style that you put on them, but you have right. the flexibility to know where they are to adjust to it, so that they you can pull the best out of what they already bring to the table. Correct. 
Yeah. Can you do yeah. you have do you have an example of somebody who you feel like was a good success story where, you know, you 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 brought them in, you you showed them that you know that you kind of had to figure out where they were, and then it turned out really well for them. Um, I used to run the uh, the boxing kids camp for Denzel Washington um, when I was at Pound for Pound, and I uh, I, I met a lot of different kids. You know, some of them are there because they have discipline discipline problems. Some of them are there because they have self esteem problems. Some of them are there because. Um, you know, they have problems paying attention and stuff like that, but you can see the benefit in them and you can almost see the glow in them once they're starting to get that type of structure and see somebody caring for them and putting the type of time in for them. You'll be su- surprised on how their grades um, start to pick up and you'll be surprised on how they're carrying themselves and starting to care more, you know, you know, dressing a little better if they if they can, or just making sure that what they have, even though if it's not much, it's they they represent themselves a lot better than what they were than when they first came in. Right. That's one example. And another one is is, is a guy named by the name of Brian Jones, and I helped train him. Uh, you know, under Terry, and uh, that guy, I mean. I believe Terry met him just shadow boxing at the park. Really? And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure if he was homeless or what he had going on at the time, but we, we took him to the gym. Wow. And, uh, we had a, a boxing team together and, um, uh, this guy for, for a while, you know, he, he had it. I mean, he's still boxing. Um, he had actually won a belt. Really? So to see somebody come from that far, you know, and believe in himself when we were believing in him and working with him and, you know, showing him love and trying to, you know, get him to be the best that he can be. He wind up, you know, taking that and kind of running with it. You know what yeah. I mean? And he was able to do some good things and change his life, you know, and uh, to do some positive things. He's still uh, at it now, actually. I got a call from him not too long ago actually about probably two weeks ago and I hadn't spoken spoken to him for a while. Cause you know, once I left pound for pound, I kind of left everything, you know what I mean? To go on and pursue, you know, my dreams and just to, you know, spread my wings. It was time for me to leave the nest. So that was a uh, very, very, very hard for me to do. Well, let's talk about that. So you, you, you were at pound for pound for 10 years. What made you decide it's time to spread my wings and then how did that go? Um, it went, <laughs> you know, it was just, it's one day you're going to come to a crossroads and you're going to say, okay, you know, what is it I'm doing? What is it that I'm after in life? What is it that I want to do? What is going to make me happy? You got, it's going to be a time where you're going to reach an age where a lot of times, a lot of people, when they're, growing up and stuff, they're living their lives to make other people happy. But then there's going to be a time when you're going to get older and you're going to figure out, you know, it's time to start putting some thought into what's going to make me happy. And I can't worry about what everybody else is thinking. Right. So then 
you know, I, I was in love with, you know, helping people and doing all the things I was able to do through boxing and being, you know, a trainer. And, uh, I decided to leave pound for pound because I just felt like I probably went as far as I could there under the man I was after, you know, I, I had a, a pulverizing figure over me. So it was time for me to, you know, come from under his shadow and, and, and try to write my own legacy. So the only way that was going to happen is for me to leave. Cause he was like so a, a legend in training and stuff like that is what you're saying. So you had to go do your own thing to, to kind of establish your own name. Correct. So then I wind up leaving, you know, I didn't know what I was going to do. I wind up leaving and going to another gym. I work with, I mean, you know, bodybuilders and stuff like that are people coming in that did, uh, you know, one in boxing training and stuff, but I, I was able to work, which wind up being a blessing that I was able to work with those bodybuilders and stuff like that because it showed me more about the weight room and about physical fitness training and stuff like that. And I had already, you know, played, you know, like I said, football and stuff like that. So I already had um, some some knowledge about it and, I, I, you know, and about, you know, agility and, um, you know, cardiovascular endurance and stuff like that in the boxing. So I was able to kind of like tie everything in together. So so you, you had had some success up to this point, uh, training for other people. And now you're going to take that success out on your own. What are some of the personal characteristics that you knew you had some of the personal traits you had that helped you be KG super trainer that helped you be that, that stellar trainer that you wanted to be out on your own. Um, I mean, what gave me the confidence is when the first time I did that, uh, that Denzel, you know, Washington kids camp, you know, cause that was, you know, a lot of that was on me. You know, he, he wasn't there. Terry wasn't there. You know, he was off training Tom Brady or doing this and doing that. So then one day me, him and Denzel were talking one day after Denzel finished working out, he started saying, you know, cause he came from the, uh, the boys club in New York. So he wanted to do something with kids. So then one day, you know, we were all talking and kind of like bouncing, um, you know, ideas off each other. So then that's when the kids camp came about. But he couldn't, you know, Terry couldn't be in two places at one time. So guess what? The work got delegated to me. Right. And uh, he told me, you know, man, you one of the best trainers I've seen in a long, long time. And he just, you know, and Denzel, told, you know, we wouldn't have been able to do this, you know, without you. Because it freed them up to do some other things. And the fact that I'm working with like, you know, 20 kids or so by myself. And at the end of the, the, the camp, what they do is it's like a drill off. So you guys, you know, it's a sequence you go through who jump rope the best, who who is the best on the mitts. Um who's the best at throwing combinations or their defense or this and that and the other. So they will put like somebody with a, you know, they have two judges in the ring or so with some cards, you know, just like a box and they tell you what round it is. Right. And all their parents would come. And then at the end of that, Denzel Washington would always come and, you know, take pictures and stuff like that and talk to the parents and take a picture with everybody and stuff like that. So just being, you know, knowing that I was the first trainer in 30 years for him to ever leave his clients to, um, seeing, you know, that I have, you know, worked with Brusa, which was the, the other Hall of Fame coach, knowing that I had been his assistant for 10 years, 
if you, if you put all that time together, that's probably 80 or 90 um, years of boxing knowledge I have. Right. I mean, because the guys who they got their stuff from, I have their stuff too. And I was the last, I was the last of that. Right. I was the last of that because guess what? The people that they learned from already passed away. These men, you know, Terry's probably, I don't know, 60 or so years old. So just think, Bruce passed away. I have his stuff. And then here is Terry, 60 years old, and I'm 43. Right. So um, I just figured, you know, at that time, if I was going to make a move, that was probably the time, you know, once, you know, that was all of the um, validation I really needed. I mean, once a guy like that, you know, starts telling people's, you know, stuff like he said, you know, that I couldn't do it without him and stuff like that. And then giving me, you know, all the responsibilities and stuff like that and making sure I'm doing stuff right. And having a boxing team with me, you know what I mean? Just me and him and stuff like that. I mean, it just, it was just, I don't know. It was, it was time. I understand. And now you're doing it. So I know you're just uh, at the beginning of this journey but tell me what that experience is like for you now running your own thing. You know what? It made me have a whole lot more respect for Terry um, than I already did. I mean, to get up at, you know, be at work at five o'clock in the morning and work till eight or nine o'clock at night, almost every day uh, is quite a task, especially when you have, Limited help, you know, I got a guy who comes in and helps me with my classes, um, you know, a couple times a week. And, and trust me, you know, without him, I don't know. I probably would have, I don't know. I was, you know, I'm going to make it happen. But it it takes just even a little time that he can help is, is truly appreciated. Um, and for knowing this, that Terry's been training and and being a gym owner as long as he has, he used to always tell me I was going to have my own gym one day and try to explain to me how stuff is and and, and the things that I was going to, um, you know, be facing. I never truly grasped that side of it until I wind up taking this leap. Right. Now you sign in the, the front of the paychecks instead of the back of the paychecks. Right. And now I understand everything he was telling me. You know, now more so than, than, you know, I ever did before. I used to just say, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, he's just saying this or he's saying that or he's over-exaggerating. But it's, it, it was times, you know, when he went out of town and stuff like that um, where he would leave me to gym and I would be just there running it, you know, a week or two weeks. But two weeks is nothing compared to two and a half years. Right. So what do you do? So your gym that you've opened now, first of all, where is it located? And then um, what type of stuff, what type of services do you offer? Uh, my gym is uh, Free Spirit Boxing and Fitness, located on Pico Boulevard, 5990 West Pico Boulevard, uh, Los Angeles, California, 90035. Um, we offer private lessons. We offer classes which I'm um, ranked number one, I believe right now on Google for the best boxing class in Los Angeles. And I've been rated as high as number two on Yelp for uh, best boxing classes in Los Angeles. Nice. Um, we also offer memberships. 
and uh, you know we have fitness classes and you know different type of services we're open to uh, private contractors for all you trainers out there that need a place to come and uh you know, bring your clients and stuff like that. It's a very, you know, nice gym. Now, in terms of what you think makes you different, so you're rated number one on Google and ranked number two in Yelp, but what makes you a great trainer? Like what what can people expect to take from all that you've gained from those 90 years of experience? What kind of things are you saying that you're going to bring to them that's going to make them walk out either better in fitness or a better boxer? Well, one thing they're going to get is a great workout. You know, in boxing, once you know what you're doing, you can burn anywhere from twelve to fifteen hundred calories per workout. Uh, two is not boutique boxing. It's, you're going to learn the real skills of a real boxer, so you're able to use the, these skills as well if you needed to. Um, so they, three, they won't get caught slipping after taking your class, right? I mean, you know what what they've been what they've been taught is. Uh, hopefully what's going to come out of something was to happen, you know, it's in them. It's just the, it's this, just them pulling a trigger, you know, they want to use it or attempt to use it. Um, three, you got a trainer here who's had a lot of, you know, experiences and different battles in his own life. And he's not going to let you down. I'm going to make sure that you get your money's worth. If you come here and I'm going to do my best to, uh, help you, you know, getting your best, um, conditioning you know that you possibly can and also you know help you you know with your mental toughness um just thinking outside the box and all the different benefits that boxing do if you look at all the people that i named who i said that that we work with they're all everybody that i named just about is the top in their field right so if you look at that it has to be some type of connection between, you know, what's going on with boxing and how it changed these people and propelled them to be at the top of whatever profession they're in. Now, do you also train people uh, like the previous trainers and coaches that go that want to be professional boxers? I got a couple people I'm working with now. You know, I haven't really had the time because I've been so busy swimming and just the day-to-day operations of the gym and just trying to keep the doors open. When you start training fighters, a lot of them are kind of like children. You have to mold them like a piece of clay. You can't let them, you know, get away with certain things and do certain things. If you want to start them off on the right path, because once you are a boxer and you start off with bad habits and bad, you know, um, practice habits and stuff like that, you're pretty much stuck with them. So you definitely want to give them your full undivided attention right? when you're, uh, you know, putting something together like this, because you want it to last. Either you want a house with a strong foundation that can survive a storm, or you want one that's weak that as soon as the wind blows or it's bad weather, it's going to tip over. You know, you want to build something that's going to last anytime you build anything. So, uh, Right now, I got a couple people I'm working with, and I'm just taking my time with them. Definitely. Um, tell me what you enjoy about doing what you're doing right now. I just enjoy, you know, helping people, uh, you know, reach their goals and, you know, helping them with whatever it is that they're dealing with. You know, I like that they leave here and, you know, 
with good endorphins and stuff like that and feel good about themselves when they when they leave leave here or somebody that might have been having you know could have been having a problem you know obesity problem or something like that that you know was breathing hard after walking two or three stairs or you know riding around in the car with their pants you know not fastened and stuff like that having a hard time tying their shoes and stuff like that and then they just give you those little texts or they'll call you and just in the middle of the day or night or whatever morning and just say hey man i just want to you know thank you for everything you did for me you know it's just it's just gratification of being able to help somebody change some things see what happened with my mom i didn't have a chance to change that as bad as i wanted to right i'm still just a mere mortal i had no control over that but with these people that come here for whatever reason i have a chance to help them Hmm. and that's just something that i take pride in you know just that and you know my logo i thought of uh, you know, one day when I was jogging and I was just thinking about my mom and then that's how I came up with the concept free spirit. And I, you know, I use the ego cause it's, just, um, you know, supposed to be the, the, uh, the symbolism of freedom and stuff like that. But also I changed the color on it and, you know, made it a custom one because it was, you know, for my mom. So now I look at it and every, you know, like you said, check that I sign every T-shirt that comes out or every hat or every, you know, person that leaves out this gym, they have that stamp on them. You know what I mean? And it's something that she can see it and she can be proud of. When people go to other countries and stuff, they, you know, they send me pictures on my T-shirts nice. or hats and stuff like that. So to me, it, it takes that ugly picture away of her just laying in that bed, not being able to move and stuff. Now she is truly free. She's right. traveling the world she's seeing different things that I haven't even seen. Hmm. And I mean, I'm of able body, you right. know what I mean? But she's able to move around and, and, and totally, um, you know, living out the vision that I had when I, when I created, uh, you know, free spirit. That's very nice. Um, I wonder that part of the breaking the glass show is about how we overcome any types of discrimination or bias that exists out there in the world and in the boxing game, uh, have you experienced any or had to deal with or overcome any kind of racism or bias or mm-hmm. any certain obstacles like that that you've had to overcome? As an African-American male in this world, you, I mean, everybody knows that there's going to be certain obstacles. Anybody who sits there and says it's not, you know, they're not being realistic. Um, it was times where, you know, I, I tried to get loans and, you know, stuff like that to help me with my business. And I promise you, I mean, they, they would give it to someone else from somewhere else, another country or whatever, you know, quicker than they would give it to me. But here it is. I'm a citizen that was born here and it's more red tape, uh, for me probably than it is for, you know, or people like me than it is for a, a, a lot of other people. How does, how does that affect your business? You're dealing with something where you build something from the ground up, man. So it took a lot of the money. I, you know, I didn't have it. I mean, you know, I just, I'm, that's where I'm going to have to give credit to God. And, you know, he just made a way out of no way for me. And, and the, what, I, what little I did have, he put me in contact with the right people that saw what I was doing and attracted the right people 
that said, you know what, I really like what this young man is doing. And they did up and above and beyond uh, what they should have done for the amount of money that I might have gave them. Right. And, uh, you know, for that, I'm going to be always, you know, ever thankful for that. Like I said, sometimes you're dealing with so much red tape and so many different obstacles. Um, it just, it's hard. Sometimes, you know, businesses don't make it. Um, and you wonder, you know, what happened to stuff is sometimes it's not the business. It's not, this is not that. They just didn't have the money to essentially keep the doors open. And that's, you know, what, what, what gets a, a business going is longevity. It takes time. Yeah. So anybody who's out there, who's thinking that you are just going to jump into something and it's just going to take right off. It doesn't happen like that. It's going to be a lot of days. You're going to be sitting there by yourself, you know, crying blood, sweat, and tears and stuff like that and trying to figure out how you're going to get to the next stage or how you're going to get to the next month. And there's always unforeseen things that people don't expect. So right. you, even when you think you have enough, it's still not enough because something could happen at any time, any moment. It could take your attention. It could take a certain amount of money. It could take this. It could take that for you to be able to deal with it. And you just have to keep pushing. You know, you just got to know that you know, you're going in the right direction and you got to keep believing in yourself and just keep pressing forward. And then things will, you know, eventually shake loose for you. And if in the middle of that, you try to go to try to get a loan to finance your businesses, you can't get it. That's almost like choking because I've always heard and, and learned that cash flow is the lifeblood of any business. And if you if that cash flow is cut off for reasons that don't seem reasonable, or fair or loaning a loan requirements that are different from person to person, that's a kind of another obstacle you got that wouldn't even have been there if you were maybe somebody else. Correct. And that's, uh, you know, it's unfortunate. It very is. It really is because, uh, there's a lot of people out there with great ideas and stuff. Like if you notice, like some of the best places that you eat at and some of the best things you come across in life is not ever from a chain. Right. You're not gonna get the best burgers or whatever in the world from McDonald's. You know what I'm saying? You're not <laughs> right. gonna get the the best whatever clothing from uh, Levi's or you know whoever Louis Vuitton all the time. It's always some person that you never heard of that makes something unique and special that makes you know people say, "Wow, well that's different." You know who is this? Right. But unfortunately, with the things that we're talking about, a lot of them will never get discovered. Yeah. And it's things they don't have any control over. Something they don't have any control over. So a lot of them, you know, dreams die with that loan they tried to get or something like that. You know, they they it's a term that I use sometimes. The greatest that never did it, <laughs> you know. Yeah, uh, that's like funny, but sad at the same yeah. time. And and it, it is, but you seem determined not to be that person. I definitely, you know, need the people support out there that are, you know, listening, you know, to this interview. Hopefully you'll come in and give my gym a chance or hopefully you'll tell her if you can't come in, you know, just pass the word. Tell a friend, a family member or come and bring one with you. You know what I mean? So they can tell other people. Well, We're going to build the network and help make it happen, because what I what I am attracted to is the fact that. The, the craft and the skill that you've built as an individual has already seen and proven results. Why don't you tell me what three books would you give as a gift? 
I'll tell you two. And one, um, I'll refer to, and I'm sure a lot of other people too. One is the Bible. Okay. Um, I like it. It's a lot of, you know, good stories in there sometimes when you need strength and stuff. Even though, you know, um, nobody knows, you know, God's true thoughts or, you know, or everybody who was around when, you know, Jesus was around or anything like that. But the thing is, it's not so much that. There's stories in there that relate to you that you can uh, um, gain strength from. You know, and um, it doesn't matter uh, what religion or faith you are. It's kind of, you know, if you take all of that out and you just look towards, you know, the stories that are in there, you might find something that are you know, related to you. Sometimes you might need to hear that certain word or something. It's, it's a lot of times when people are just ready to give up, man. The times and the way of the world right now is it, tough. You know, so um, you need some, sometimes, you know, nobody's going to be there, but guess what? You can open that book up and you can read and then you might find something one day when you say, you know what, I, I sure need some confirmation or I need to hear something encouraging. I need to hear something uh, that's going to motivate me. You might run across one of those stories and it just seem like it's just talking just to you. Yeah. And it might give you, you know, just that little push you need just to get over that hump. I agree. My other book that I would go along with um, was a good friend of mine. His name is Gerald Lacey. And he has a book out called The Visionary. It's just a book that helps people with goals and stuff focus and get a plan together on how to reach those goals. Nice. Um, sometimes, you know, it's a lot of stuff that we wanted to do. And it's not that we can't do them is we don't have any plan to do them. We don't have the blueprint to do them. And this book kind of focuses on helping you get those things done so you can be successful. I like it. I like it. I like it a lot. Now, um, what kind of things do you do for fun? Well, man. <laughs> you ain't got no time for fun, huh? <laughs> every, every day, yeah. It's kind of like, man, I, I like to, you know, go out and, you know, have a drink, a cocktail or something every now and again. I like to, you know, catch certain fights and stuff like that or catch a movie when I can and just, uh, you know, just be – Thankful, you know, the little time I do have. Only day I really have off is uh, Sunday. So I just like, a lot of times I like to just sit around and do nothing, man. I found, you know, I find a lot of peace in that because I'm always doing something. You know, Monday through Saturday, I live by appointment book. You know, everything is so structured. I got to see this person at this time. I got to see this person at this time. I got to be here at this time. I got to take this phone call here by this time. Sometimes I just like to wake up and just, you know, go with it. You know what I mean? And um, just rest up and try to, you know, stay focused. Right, right. You know, it's, there's going to come a time where things, are, everything will be in order and I'll have a lot of free time to have, you know, a lot of fun and do a lot of things that a lot of people get to do. But right now, you know, I'm uh, 
just trying to get myself headed in the right direction for, you know, to secure my legacy and, you know, my mom's and everybody else who, you know, I wish that was here to be able to see, you know, what's going on with me and they're not here. So I'm definitely after redemption for everything that I lost, you know, the cancer, you know, my football career, what happened with my mom and stuff like that. I mean, they say that no, um, there's no better revenge than success. Right. And, and I believe that. Are you back to any of the boxing training with the stars? Have you had any clients like that that you want to mention that you've had uh, in your business so far? Yeah, I train, uh, you know, Omar Gooding uh, from, you know, Baby Boy. You know, he's also, he's the brother of Cuba Gooding Jr. Right. I train him. He also has a show on Bounce TV called Family Time. It's been a, a hit sitcom for, I don't know, I believe like five, between five, about five years now. Um, also, I train, uh, I don't know if you know who uh, Jacarius Johnson is. I'm not familiar. Where, where would the, I see uh, him? He has a play out right now that set it off play. Oh, okay. And he has that, and he also had another one called uh, Married But Single. Got it. And he has he has had a lot of uh, hit plays that have been out. And he's uh, he's also, you know, getting getting ready to step into, start doing some, you know, directing and other things like that. He has a lot of um, – he's one of the, the only guys, uh, African-Americans, that has distribution also in Walmart. Yeah, his plays I'm seeing now, he's got – his plays have <laughs> Bill Bellamy, Genuine, Chante Moore, Carl Payne. So he's the producer of all these plays? Yes, he is. Very nice. And I also uh, train uh, Medina Islam, which is uh, Quincy from um, The Have and Have Nots. Ah, okay, okay. So you still keeping your your, yeah, your so stable for? I'm trying, man. You know they do a lot of traveling. It's hard to keep them up in here, but um, you know they still come through. And I love the fact that you know when they are you know around or in town or whatever, and they have time that they like to come in here. I think uh, I think you're a humble guy, man. It's, it's I know it's cats coming at you. We just gotta gotta uh, get more of them coming so we can just have them busting out the doors, right? That that's the goal. Where can people find you online? Uh, they can find me on Instagram, Free Spirit Boxing Fitness. And they can also find me on my website, freespiritla.com. Um, they can find me on my Free Spirit um, Boxing 11.9 on uh, Facebook. And uh, that's pretty much it. Very nice, man. Um, also, I'll go ahead. My Instagram, uh, KG Super Trainer. And I didn't give myself that name. It was funny when you said during the interview uh, that I took, you know, the bodybuilding and this, that, and the other, and you was like, you said something about the name, and that's exactly how I got it. Somebody told me one day, I never met a person who can go 100% in the ring and go 100% in the weight room. They was like, uh, you, you should have been called KG Super Trainer. <laughs> and then that name just stuck. Very nice. <laughs> That's very nice. Well, listen, man, it's been an awesome time speaking with you. I've enjoyed having you. And my guest today has been KG Super Trainer, Kayleon Green. KG, thanks for coming on the show this week. I surely appreciate it, man. It's been a pleasure. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave a rating and review on iTunes or Google Play. 